Welcome. You've joined The Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are, and you know, we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because great sex matters, and we all deserve it. So... Are you looking for a long-lasting relationship that includes a touch of non-monogamy? Perhaps you need a mentor or a guide to take you by the hand through the stages of exploration so that you don't mess up your already strong and healthy connection. On today's show, we talk about all the different ways to avoid common friction and insecurities that can arise as you journey into this exciting, yes, obscure world of ethical non-monogamy. We get into busting a bunch of myths and misinformation that cloud the reality of this erotic and intoxicating lifestyle. Absolutely. And as we do on every show, let me get going by telling you about our top waterproof blanket because nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot and squirt is hot until it's not. Even if you're not a squirter and you're fed up with sleeping in that wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak proof and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. It protects against messy massage oils, silicone lubes and all other sexy wetness. And when you're done, you just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. Remember, great sex is messy sex. So to keep your bed dry, simply go to Amazon and search for top waterproof blanket. That's T-O-P waterproof blanket and order yours today. Great sex starts now. It sure does. And so does today's show. You know, we're Carla David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. And we're so excited to welcome today's special guest. We have Ali Eisman here with us today, and she's the founder of PassportToPleasure.com, which is an online resource for people exploring healthy non-monogamy and alternative relationship dynamics. Wow, that's a mouthful. (laughs) And we're going to hear all about it on today's show. Ali, welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I always love a good mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Of course we do. (laughs) So let's get started. Why don't you tell us a little bit how you got into this world of sexuality? Sure. I mean, I I, I would say it started as as soon as I I got started in life, really. I I never really went through that, um, that cooties phase. It was, it was pretty much right out the gate. My first, you know, quote unquote boyfriend, if you will, was I think it was a first, it was either kindergarten and first grade or first and second grade. My first kiss was a French kiss. I'll never forget, it was in, the, in his backyard with his little sister watching. So, you know, right out the gate, voyeur exhibitionist. So, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was something that began really early for me. It was, it was an interesting journey though, because when I was growing up, when I was much younger, I was always was one of the boys. I was, you know, the term tomboy was used back then. And I just felt, you know, much more comfortable with that kind of um, social dynamic. But then the boobs came in uh, pretty much overnight. I don't have any memory of a training bra. It was just all of a sudden there were boobs and my friends were looking at me differently, you know, not necessarily in the eyes. So initially started wearing really baggy clothes to kind of cover that up. And then I started learning that, oh, wait, when I show it off, I... I have a slightly different dynamic and there's some power involved in that. And let me start exploring what that means and what that looks like and how I can use it. So that's the long and long of it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And so when you were younger, were you also sexually promiscuous? Honestly, I was a bit of a paradox. I uh, Somehow I got it into my head that I was waiting for sex until marriage, which did not, I was not necessarily raised that way. I'm, I'm Jewish. That wasn't like a tenant that was involved in, in how in how we were raised. And for me at the time, sex was um, classified as uh, penetrative genital sex. So, you know, did everything except that. Gotcha. <laughs> and I, apparently I learned... Um, later on that I, I kind of left a wake of uh, I, I created monsters leaving <laughs> <laughs> up in my wake getting everyone very worked up and ready and then no uh, a full release if you will <laughs> now were you like me where I always had a boyfriend on the go as soon as one dumped me I was on after the next one 
I was I didn't know the term serial monogamous at the time. And of course, when you're that that young, that's not terminology that's being used. But yes, I was very much a serial monogamous through the, the better portion of my early life, um, which is part of my journey of coming into non-monogamy and finding a much more robust version of myself and a much more fulfilled relationship framework. Very, very cool. And your household, your parents, were they open minded? They, uh, again, a bit of another paradox. Yes and no is the answer to that. So we certainly weren't exposed to any um, anything outside of the you know nuclear family dynamic. You know, the husband and the wife and the kids. But it was a very loveless and sexless marriage. Very tense. Very cold. And so I learned that that's what partnership was growing up. And it was very very hard to be around. At the same time. My sibling um, was unfortunately outed by their school very abruptly. Um, and my mother, I'll never forget, like took them to get their first mohawk. Um, there was never a question of, you know, this being wrong. It was just like, oh, this is you. We don't understand, but okay. And I mean, this is my experience of their experience. So it, it is one person removed. And, I'm, and I know there were a lot of challenges in it as well. However, knowing many, many queer, non-binary and gay folks in my life now, there's, you know, very harsh stories that I think we avoided some of the really intense ones. But our mom was definitely supportive as she could be um, in ways that were, were unexpected to me because we had just never had conversations about it growing up. So. And just to get a timeline, yeah. time frame, when was that? When the outing happened? Sure, that was, um, we were both, teenagers I want to say they might have been preteen at that point um, it was younger and I, they, I don't it was very much um, like I said it was a very unplanned very abrupt um, outing because it wasn't something they chose to talk about the school really but was that like 20 yeah. years ago now or 10 years ago sorry oh, oh you mean dating dating myself <laughs> yeah kind of um, yeah, <laughs> 20, 25 years ago at this point math hold on yeah 25 years ago probably at this point at least so, so speaking uh, speaking of those teen years were you um, sexually active younger in life or did that come a little bit later well, if we're going to, let's define sexually active. So I was very physically active in a sexual way, very young and very frequently with my partner. But as far as penetrative genital sex, like, you know, the quote unquote mononormative official sex that you're supposed to hold, I didn't actually lose my virginity in that regard until college. I actually had a, my long-term boyfriend in college. We gave each other our flowers. Uh. It's very sweet. <laughs> was it good the first time? good <laughs> it was a it was effective it, it was the the mission was accomplished did everyone leave with a gift bag no <laughs> did he take care of you did you come uh absolutely not no uh, <laughs> but it was special in that it was so intentional it was so clear it was so safe and i'm very grateful because my second experience was unfortunately non-consensual oh, so yes. to have that as my initial memory and my you know first is very very i'm very very grateful because i know that's not so are you saying that you had your first orgasm after that or were you able to have um those good orgasm experiences just by doing oral earlier on Oh yes, I, I had orgasms before having having genital sex. <laughs> Absolutely, there was lots of rubbing and wetness and other body parts that were involved. Um, but it took me a good a good bit of self exploration before I could start having that same experience with um, genital sex. So, so you were big into self pleasuring. You learned how to masturbate early on. Masturbated with other people. It's very interesting. I did not, I had a bit of a block with literally just by myself masturbating, but I loved masturbating with a partner or, you know, telling them what to do to me to have fun. But having sex by myself with no one around was something that was an interesting barrier for me when mm. I was younger. Mm. And, and I still, I still prefer to be watched. Like even, even if it's just me, I love an audience. <laughs> yeah, David too. I mean, I don't mind masturbating on my own, but David always likes me to be around. He announces it. I'm going to masturbate. Can you come and watch? Of course I can. <laughs> like, can I get a few things done while I watch? No, I don't do that. I do pay my full attention. 
as I should. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> so let's move on to um, this wonderful world that we all live in called ethical non-monogamy, swinging, the alternative lifestyle. There's many different words that are used to describe it, but basically it's um, away from the traditional um, male, female, missionary sex on the left side of your bed for the rest of your life. <laughs> Can you give us yeah, like what yeah. is your definition of what is ethical, ethical non-monogamy and polyamory? We'll get into that a little bit too. Absolutely. Well, I love right out the gate your use of the word traditional. I think that's one of the biggest misnomers. Traditional is actually non-monogamous. And what non-monogamy means, it's an umbrella term to cover a lot of what we now refer to as alternative relationship dynamics, polyamory being one of them. And that's when you can have multiple emotional and or physical relationships simultaneously with the full consent of everyone involved. And it actually dates back far, far earlier than monogamy, which is actually the new kid on the block. Hmm. Hmm. Very, very cool. And ethical non-monogamy for people who are just used to saying swinging, how would you say one refers to it in a different way than the other? Sure. So ethical non-monogamy or consensual non-monogamy is a term you'll also hear. I say healthy non-monogamy because any relationship framework can be healthy or unhealthy, so I like to specify that. Um, it, like I said, is an umbrella term, so it can cover all kinds of relationship dynamics, polyamory, which can be hierarchical or non-hierarchical, swinging, as you referred to, which is when couples will um, swap with other couples, play with other couples, but always in the couple container. Um, open relationships, again, when you have that core partnership and you'll bring others in or date others outside of it, but you always have that core dynamic that you're going back to. Um, there's also relationship anarchy, which, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory in the name that it is employing the, um, the uh, ideology of anarchy in terms of relationship structures, where the idea is that no, any, any one party does not have any jurisdiction over another. There is, of course, open communication, discussions of boundaries, things like that, but that there is no hierarchy between platonic, non-platonic, or any you know, sexual or emotional relationships as well. And then Dan Savage, I love his term monogamish, which is kind of on the on the open relationship side of things. Again, that core partnership, playing with others, bringing a third in, that kind of a thing. For sure. And why do you think that people are so curious about non-monogamy? Well, I think, um, pardon me, my assistant, um, Albert here, coming in with all four paws. Um, I think people are curious because there are a lot of people that are not finding the fulfilling longevity that they were told that they would be getting from the prescription of monogamy. Now, I'm not here to say that non-monogamy is better than monogamy. Monogamy does work for some people, but if we look just at the numbers in California alone at medium, medium income families, we have an over 70% divorce rate. And of the remaining 30%, 25% of them wish they were getting one. So that's 5% of folks that the monogamous marriage is working for. And we have 95% of people who are thinking that there's something wrong with them, they're sick, they're broken, because this one-size-fits-all relationship dynamic isn't working for them. The truth is there are many alternative relationship frameworks that we can use to have healthy connection, but we're being told that this Again, one size fits all status quo relationship is the only option. And it's just not the case. Mm -hmm. People deserve to be happy, to be in long-term relationships if that's what they desire and to have fulfillment of their needs within those relationships in a healthy framework. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure those stats are not based on your first or second or third year of marriage. It's the long-term thing that doesn't work for most people. In yeah, the breakdown of the marriage is usually not at the beginning of the relationship. No, the, nor the window that they see, in, in specifically in first-time marriages, is usually between years three to five. Uh -huh. And then there's, of course, that term, the seven-year itch, yeah. that <laughs> is a bit colloquial. But yes, and, and people, what am I trying to say? There, there's this conflation of um, you know commitment, love, sex, and these are all the same thing when they're not. Mm -hmm. Commitment voice that you're making over and over every day through discussions, um, reevaluating things, have it, having this be a living, breathing, your relationship is a living, breathing organism just like you are. Uh, if you're in a couple, that's two people that are growing and changing over time. And then you have a third party. I like to tell my couples that I work with, 
you're in a couple, you're actually already in a threesome. There's you, your partner, and your relationship, mm-hmm. and each one of those parties deserves just as much attention and consideration as the other. Yeah, we like to think about it as like a, a three-legged stool. There's each of you plus your us, um, you know, and the two different people in the partnership, and then the, the unit together. And every three, all three of those have to work in order for the stool to stand up. So you exactly. have to be healthy and safe in all three worlds. And how did you find this wonderful world that we live in? (laughs) For me, the door was, um, I didn't have the term at the time, but compersion. I I knew that, like I said, I was a serial monogamist. I was only dating men at the time. I was very closeted. And um, I've always found excitement and uh, a turn on hearing about their fantasies, their previous experiences, their previous partners, things like that was very like, very much foreplay to me. I loved hearing about it. But I, of course, had to be the untouched virgin who couldn't spell penis, you know, that kind of thing. And so I never understood what the the bad rap that jealousy had. I was like, I don't understand. Like, jealousy is exciting. It feels good. It's yummy. Like, gets me going. Um, And then learning about, you know, compersion of concepts and things like that helped me start understanding, like, oh, there's something different about me. And so started broaching the topic with um, a few, few of my last monogamous partners. And we would, of course, end up on the, okay, we can have a threesome with another woman. Great, I'm here for it, let's do it. Never happened, <laughs> not for lack of me trying. But my, my penultimate, if you will, my final um, monogamous relationship was when I was uh, dating someone, long-term partner who uh, is a motivational speaker, so he's on the road a lot. And I said, hey, I really would love for you to have an experience and like report back, like maybe send me a photo if you connect with someone at the hotel bar, something like that. That would be very fun for me. And so we had an agreement. If he was on the road and I couldn't join him, you know, we could see what would happen. And he connected with someone at one point, sent me a photo. She's super cute, super excited, tell me everything. Uh, apparently they just stayed up all night talking, which is still, that's beautiful. I love that. Exciting. Loved hearing about it. Another time I had an opportunity while he was out of town, a friend of mine was coming into town to visit. We had a sexual history, but we're very much just friends. So it was a very safe feeling thing, I thought. And my partner at the time gave me what he called his green light. So I had this wonderful night with my friend, ended up learning that his last relationship was also open. And we just had this wonderful bonding experience. And I could not wait to tell everything to my partner. I felt so in love. I called him the second I left my friend's place. Babe, I, like, I want to tell you everything. This is so much fun. Thank you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And just dead silence on the other on the other line. And I was just like, oh, babe, are you there? Is everything okay? And then all he says is, I can't believe you did it. Oh, God. And so whether you're monogamous, non-monogamous, do not test your partner. Right. That is not healthy. It is not loving. Um, of course, the relationship imploded from that point. There were, of course, other issues as well. But that was really my defining point of like, okay, this is real for me, A, and B, I need to do this on my own. I don't want any more emotional casualties on my conscience. Let me like explore this space. I, I don't really know how to get in, but I'll figure it out. Universe, I'm ready. And then literally ended up getting my, my first invitation to a play party was a, a one afternoon stand um, when I started you know, getting on all the apps and everything. I was like, let me be single and like do this thing. We're cleaning up and he goes, hey, you know, I have a I have a events you might be interested in, and that was literally the only time we ever met. That was his whole purpose in my life <laughs> was to get me an invite to my first play party, and then my journey just rocketed from there. So you were a unicorn in the lifestyle in the beginning. Yes, yeah, so I, I was dating couples and singles. It was I was very much like a, I don't know. Let me experience it. I've always been someone, and I want to preface this with it's taken a good deal of work to be this. But I've always been someone who finds my boundaries by hitting them head on. So I was like, let me just ex- yes to everything. Let's see, let's see what's out you know, safely. Um, but yeah, I was dating couples, singles. I had I, my, my, my first uh, group sex experience before I even had a, like a threesome. I think I had a, a moresome. There were like five or six of us, at least. And, and then I had a foursome, and then I had a threesome. <laughs> I kind of like worked my way back. Very, very, very cool. So now you are where you are today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the courses that you create to guide people and help them enter this world of non, non-monogamy? Thank you so much for that invitation. Um, it's, what, I'm, what I'm offering now, what I'm creating now, is very much coming from the place of I wish there was a resource like me when I had started. Um, and it's through a lot of feedback. I've been on this journey now since 2016. 
uh, both personally and professionally. I have been doing this work for quite some time, um, guiding couples and individuals exploring the space. I find myself mostly working with couples as a specialty, but not exclusively. And I wanted to make these offerings available more formally. And luckily we're in a moment right now where the mainstream media is open to having this conversation. So it's the perfect opportunity to get these resources out there in a bigger way. As a leader in the sex positive community in Los Angeles, I'm on the board of one of the most prominent play parties here. We're seeing so many new people come in through the apps, through, through everything, um, which is exciting, yet they're coming in with no resourcing, no knowledge, they're making all of the mistakes and then some creating unnecessary you know rupture in their relationship hurting other people within the community none of it anyone wants no one wants to hurt anyone generally speaking people don't want to hurt people they care about but without the resourcing and the tools and the skills and the knowledge that you need to do something intentionally that's bound to happen so in an effort to both resource people coming into this space and also protect the integrity of my community, I offer private guidance. I have foundational courses like EMM 101, Exploring Healthy Non-Monogamy, and that's really my primer. It gives you all the base knowledge you need to step into this space confidently, safely, on your own and or with a partner. Um, I have the, the two big takeaways from the course that I love to highlight are you will land on your IRS, I call it, your, your friendly IRS, your ideal relationship structure. So you'll determine your hierarchy of needs on your emotional and romantic plane and your physical and sexual plane, both you and your partner. That will tell you where you kind of fall on this graph and what relationship framework of the five main non-monogamous structures there are might be best for you to start with. And then you will also build what's known as your relationship agreement. Now that is an actual physical document that you create with your partner or your partners, each partnership should have its own. And that will go through all your boundaries, your safer sex practices, your communication, everything you need to really have a framework to start exploring. And it's a document, like I said earlier, that's living and breathing like your relationship that needs to be reviewed on a regular basis. Hmm. So all of that juicy stuff, along with the vocabulary, the tools, the communication, et cetera, et cetera, all of that lives in ENM 101, my foundational course. You know, your point about, um being in an open relationship um, and the fact that it evolves continuously is so, so accurate. I mean, we've been in this world for 18 years now. Um, did I get that right? Something like that. 18, 17, <laughs> somewhere around there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if we were to look back and see where we started and where we have evolved to now, um, probably, you know, every different vacation, every different experience we go into, we learn. And you know, for us, we want to come out of every one of those events, experiences, connections with other people as us being a stronger couple. And um, you know, I'm sure in your courses you talk about you know communication is, is paramount, and you have to talk about it and continuously talk about because you know everybody has sex differently, and everybody wants to do things with different people differently. And uh, you learn from them. You learn what you like, what you don't like, and uh, some of the stuff you add into your relationship, and all of a sudden you're really relationship changes a little bit. When we first started swinging, Carol wouldn't play with girls. She was just into, I want lots and lots of cock. And now she calls herself bisituational, biselfish. She picks and chooses when she wants to play with women. Sure. I love that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more that communication is foundational. And that's what I, I really always like to draw attention to is, is commitment isn't a label. It's not, oh, we have this title and therefore you know, we are this thing and we never have to talk about it. Da, 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 da. Commitment is experiential. It's a consistent experience you have over time, building security within your relationship framework, whatever the label is. Slapping a label on is not what gives you that security. So I love hearing that and I couldn't agree more. It's like any anything in life, any new skill set we're learning, any new dynamic business relationships grow and change. Every relationship that we have in our life is given that freedom, it seems, accept this like one special diamond thing that's supposed to exist that must always be the same i always i always think of like um you know like yearbooks you get everyone to sign it at the end of the year and they're like never change stay the same i'm like absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not no i will be growing thank you yeah <laughs> you know um in the world we live in it seems like cheating is almost accepted that you know everybody out there cheats and if you get caught all right try and fix it if it doesn't work move on 
but if you're outed as a swinger it's like the sky's falling down and how dare you you know have sex with other people within a couple and it being consensual respectful and mutually agreed to mm-hmm. it's a very interesting um dynamic that you're referring to it's that that awareness again we get given this idea that this even if it's an illusion this one way of doing it is the way and so we don't speak about anything outside of that and if we don't speak about it then it doesn't exist versus actually shining a light on very basic very human very healthy needs the desire for novelty for example sexually has no correlation with how much or how little long-term commitment you would like to have in emotional relationships it is a separate thing the desire for sexual like i said novelty is something that like should be celebrated and what a wonderful opportunity to learn more about your partner to be involved in their growth in some context the idea of you know don't ask don't tell or or not talking about it you're really robbing yourself as a couple as a unit even as an individual of opportunities to grow a really important skill that is um useful whether you're non-monogamous or monogamous is that idea that like our goal in life should not be to be comfortable all the time safe yes but discomfort is where we grow i always coach people that jealousy is actually your best friend when you have a safe container to explore it it's showing you and it's giving you information it's showing you either an insecurity you have personally or an insecurity in the relationship that can be addressed it's an opportunity to actually deepen and strengthen that bond so when we look at things directly we shine a light on them we own them together it really brings us together instead of trying to live in this land of denial yeah of course and as long as it's healthy uh, jealousy it's still okay mm-hmm. to explore in this uh, you know um, non-monogamy but when it's not healthy non-monogamy is not going to help you fix your relationship where no. one of you is so jealous the other one can't even look at another person so you exactly. have to be sure that it's the healthy kind of uh, jealousy that can help you expand like you said and learn more about yourself Very and much. test yourself and go slow if you are a jealous person please take the baby steps which is probably what you yeah. talk about in your in your courses as well baby steps are the best ones to take when you're exploring new things yes and to be very clear just exactly what you said that non-monogamy bringing another person in exploring sex positive spaces all of that is when your foundation is so strong when your cup is so full it's running over it's not a band-aid it's not a filler any more than having kids is going to save a relationship <laughs> for sure like that the relationship foundation is the number one priority before you start stepping out yeah absolutely and what's so cool is i mean we've met hundreds and thousands of couples over the years in our travels and you never meet someone in the lifestyle who says you know i want to swing cuz my sex life sucks you find the people yeah. saying you know i want to swing because we want to spice it up we want it to get even better than what it was mhm i think that's the the beauty is you you in a sense you can have your cake and eat it too as long as everyone is on board and the cake is consenting yeah yeah like that yeah. it's again it's it's additive it's not a reparative thing it's an additive tool. right and i think like we're as we're talking about you know potential friction and things i think it's really important to to talk about support networks because we do live in a society that says this is the one way still and so when you open up there is going to be potential friction that comes up because you're inviting a new dynamic and like i said it's an opportunity to look at these things heal them deepen your connection etc it's not something to be avoided as long again as long as it's healthy and you have a safe space to do that and you have the resourcing needed to make those repairs um a lot of guidance that people will get from very well-meaning friends and family is like hey these problems didn't show up until you opened up so you should you should probably close up again yeah if you don't have a strong foundation and yes you're creating you know rupture that's uncontrollable yes let's you know let's dial it back and see how we can do this safely and, and from a strong foundation first but non-monogamy is not the reason that relationships experience friction or potentially and they bring up the opportunities to shine a light on things that were much easier to hide behind the status quo of monogamy and never talk about and you know very different 
You know, one of the things that we've found in the last, I guess, three or four years is that being in an open-minded relationship allows one or the other partner to explore some or push some boundaries that the other partner might not be into. So uh, we, we learned the word is called outsourcing. So, you know, if I want to have anal sex with a woman, Carol's not into it, we go to a party, we go meet people where she might be into it, and Carol just outsources it and sits there and watches. Maybe she'll suck uh, her tits or do something like that. But I get to experience something that Carol isn't into, and in the end, we all are much happier. <laughs> exactly. Instead of her trying to you know, do something that's not enjoyable for right. her, potential resentment building. And even more than that, in a sense, even if she's not physically there, whatever agreements, you know, you guys have, she's still a part of it because you've created that framework together. So it's still a bid for that intimacy that you two have and deepening that connection. Yeah. And we outsource a couple of things, deep throating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not that I don't like doing deep throating, but you like it deeper than I like it. Yeah. <laughs> But I can't even do it. I have the strongest gadget. It's, I, I, it's impossible. But my favorite gift is to give a throat. There you go. I think a human with an incredibly talented throat. That's it. My partner can talk. Um, exactly. One of our last trips, we met a couple, and she had no gag reflex, and all she wanted to do was keep it in there. And I was in heaven. I was good for the year. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. Because <laughs> that was last March. <laughs> yeah, yeah. March is coming up. March is coming up. So time to renew. <laughs> well, what a great segment we've been having here. A beautiful discussion uh, with Ali Eisman from Passport to Pleasure. Coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. So don't go away. Now let's tell everybody about Topless Travel and the amazing trips we have planned for this year. Absolutely. Topless Travel offers the sexiest and most erotic vacation experiences ever from Hito 2 in Jamaica, Desire in Cancun, and all the Bliss Cruise adventures. Topless Travel needs to be your number one choice. And their trips are all about pushing boundaries and exploring your naughty side. And their exclusive sexy host couples are there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. Yeah, so come join us at Hedonism 2 in Jamaica, the world's most iconic and erotic adult playground. We're going to be there from October 12th to 19th, 2024 for Topless Travel's Fall Sexy Silver event. And of course, you'll always find us on both Bliss Cruise Adventures in April and November each year. For more information about all their trips, go to toplesstravel.com to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. And as a quick reminder, if you're looking for an open-minded online community to find compatible people and events in your area, you can go to sdc.com and use promo code 30314 to get your first month free. That's sdc.com and promo code 30314 for your first month free. Alrighty, enough of the ads. Let's get back to the show. You know this is a sexy lifestyle. We are Carol and David. And now's the time where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. But let's get into some of the myths and misinformation that's out there about ENM. And of course, if you haven't guessed it, ENM is short for ethical non-monogamy. So Ali, let's start with this one. Is non-monogamy cheating? Well, like we, we spoke about a bit earlier, the, the main defining difference is the consent and the communication. Cheating is foundationally about deception and lies more than it is about a specific sexual activity. You can emotionally cheat, you can physically cheat. The defining characteristic, again, is that deceit and those lies versus healthy, consensual, ethical non-monogamy is all about having the consent and understanding of everyone involved in that dynamic and making sure that everyone's involved in what those boundaries look like. So swinging is not cheating. No, as long as everyone is on the same page and not surprised to be there. <laughs> everyone's involved swinging is, you know, a dynamic where couples are engaging with other couples. So you're together, you've agreed upon ideally what this is going to be, what this, you know, what the boundaries need to be in this space. So it falls under the umbrella of healthy and consensual non-monogamy. Perfect. Cool. Let's bust another myth. Swinging parties are crazy sex orgies. Those exist if you would like to go there. There are also many, many, many other options. As many personalities and flavors and tastes that there can exist within sexuality, there are parties to satisfy those curiosities. Every party, every community has its own personality. So trying a number of them with your partner or if you're solo 
maybe bring a friend if you're not comfortable going on your own. It's really great to, you know, sample a few, ask around the community, know what it is you're looking for, and you'll be able to find a community and a party that will suit your needs. So does non-monogamy mean that your sex life sucks? Uh, I think your sex life can be amazing or suck in any relationship framework. It's a matter of what you're willing to do and the communication you're willing to have and how curious you are. I think something we touched on earlier that's so beautiful about non-monogamy is it's perfectly normal to be in a partnership where two people maybe aren't matched with libido or sexual interest, especially because those things can change throughout life. And if you have a committed partnership with someone and you want to stay with them, one element of your relationship is sexuality. It's not the entire relationship. So having the freedom and healthy frameworks that you've created together in which you can each explore and have those needs met consensually is an incredible opportunity to grow and strengthen that relationship. Cool. Do you think the world one of these days will use ethical non-monogamy as a model? Could we be role models to monogamous couples and teach them some of the basics that are needed in relationships to keep them strong and healthy over time? Absolutely, 100% absolutely could not agree more. Like I said, the, the foundational tools, skills that you need to have healthy foundational or functional um, non-monogamous relationships are absolutely applicable in monogamous relationships as well. The level of communication, the boundary talks, knowing your needs, etc. Having Having a safe container that you've built together within which that you can make mistakes. Mistakes are a really important tool for growth and intimacy. The, the way you build trust is by accepting that you are taking the risk that someone can hurt you. There, there is no other way to build it than by, by accepting that. So non-monogamy has so many amazing tenants that, I mean, there's certainly people that will explore non-monogamy and go, you know what, actually we are monogamous, but look how much we've learned through this exploration that we can now take into our monogamous dynamic to make sure that it's super strong. Well, of course, we always say that we are emotionally monogamous, but we like to have sex with other people. So there's a whole huge part of our relationship that doesn't include non-monogamy, that we need to have all these skills and all these communication ways of talking to each other and, and being trustful of each other is in the rest of our lives, not just when we're playing or traveling or with other swinger couples. Well, and I think, and you hit another, you know, another myth right on the head right there is non-monogamy isn't just about sex. Knowing your needs, both emotionally or romantically and sexually, physically is important. They are not inherently the same. You could need other emotional relationships, but only want one sexual partner. You could want other sexual partners, but only with your primary partner. You could want other emotional relationships, but in a triad formation rather than a couple formation. Knowing all these options, first of all, so you can really explore um, instead of feeling around in the dark, unless that's your king, <laughs> is, a, is a great, is a, like I said, a great tool to decide whatever your relationship framework is, whether it's monogamous or non-monogamous, all of these tools apply. Understanding those different needs is a foundational element of that. And I would have to say that even in the course that you described that you offer to as, as a resource to couples who are exploring, but the idea of having a relationship contract, even if you're not non-monogamous, if you are monogamous, is an important part. It's a, it's a cool concept to consider even when you're monogamous is what I'm trying to say. Wow, one in circles there. <laughs> so uh, we, monogamous people can learn from the non-monogamous by even incorporating uh, a relationship contract within their own lives. Yeah, the, the relationship agreement, you know, we, we have marriage as um, this idea in our society that we've, again, conflated with romance and all those feelings when marriage is, is a merging of assets. It's a mergers and acquisitions contract more so than it is about emotions and sexual boundaries and needs and things like that. And it's broad strokes. It's a very broad strokes contract. The relationship agreement really gets into the nuts and bolts of what is it that we're building together? What do you need? What do I need? Where's the overlap? Where's the deviation? How do we create a framework that we both feel safe in that we can also both explore in and make sure that we're living fulfilled lives within this dynamic? So, Absolutely. You know, um, we're, we're talking about 
monogamy, we're talking about ethical non-monogamy, and um, earlier this year we had Dr. Amy C. Moores from USC on our show who did um, a very big study on ethical non-monogamy, and she found that one in five people or couples have practiced in one way or another ethical non-monogamy. And she related that to that's the same amount of people who have cats in the United States. <laughs> and and her big point was that, you know, so many people out there, guys, probably first, want to have a threesome. And then, you know, they talk to their partner, they talk to their wives, and they have a threesome. But that counts as ethical non-monogamy. It counts as opening up your relationship. So there's so many people out there who have in one way or another participated, tried it, which we always say try something at least once, but um, the amount of people who are out there doing things outside that non-traditional, <laughs> as, as uh, Ali was saying, um, dynamics of a marriage or a relationship is growing more and more and more because there's so many different ways to do it. Going to a sex club and having sex next to other people having sex is not swinging, but it's not that normative sex in a bed. Right. Exactly. And, and that's why, you know, we, we participate in the lifestyle where swinging is just a piece of it. Uh, kink and BDSM is another part of it. And there's all different Voyeurism, pieces. Voyeurism. So, um, you know, everybody can try it and find what's good for their couple and their relationship. Exactly. It creates more um, freedom within boundaries, if that makes sense. I, it's important to note that boundaries actually are what give us the freedom versus not talking about it and assuming we're all on the same page. And I love your note about like, yeah, we certainly have plenty of monogamous people that come to our play party. They come, they love the environment, they come for the drinks, the conversation. Maybe they'll watch for a bit and then they go home and play. Maybe they'll play at the party, but they don't engage with other people. Right, necessarily, exactly. yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're enjoying the environment. And then there's plenty of non-monogamous people who don't go to play parties. These are these are not usually exclusive. You can you can pick and choose and make your own smoothie, right. your lifestyle smoothie if you'd like. Um. All right. Well, we're gonna get down and dirty with you and talk a little bit about your sexual preferences. So, how do you like to play in the lifestyle? Goodness, I, I just I very much I'm like you guys. I'm very much in the lifestyle. It is my community. It is how I move through the world. It is how I speak, engage. It's what I do professionally. It's all of the things. So I love group environments. I love play parties. I when I go to you know more theatrical costume events and things that aren't play parties, I sort of feel like un, unfulfilled. Yeah, <laughs> I like being able to just have you know a safe space to explore whatever is coming up. It doesn't mean I play necessarily at every party or to varying degrees. I'm at a at a you know in a chapter in my journey where I'm very much looking for primary partnerships. So I'm less inclined to just you know terms I've used are like sport fucking. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen sometimes because you know there's great opportunities in these environments. But I'm definitely like I'm a sapiosexual. I need some sort of energetic, intellectual, emotional connection. That's my flirting. That's my floor foreplay, um, and so I'm also dating in the space as well and looking for that partnership. And do you prefer hard cock or wet pussy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love that. Love answer. that. Love that answer. Yeah, I, I like to say my sexuality is yes, and what that means to me is I really enjoy having sex with people that I'm attracted to, who also would like to have sex with me. <laughs> that, is, that is my prerequisite. And in an orgy situation, where would we find you? In the middle, <laughs> generally speaking. I love, um, I'm very much an exhibitionist warrior. I love, the environment is so juicy to me. I mean, I have legitimately been in the middle of a pile of humans and just like been laying there and enjoying listening and seeing my friends and just like not even engaging but just being in that pile and getting to experience all those yummy feelings and sounds and smells and visuals, like, it's, I just love it. And when you date, in which order do you tell people that you are in this open world? Is it on the first minute or the 10th the tenth date? It, it's, pretty, it's pretty immediate. Um, for me, you know, especially now being very publicly out professionally, um, there's, 
well, there's never really been a point to hiding it, um, but now very much so. Look, if you can't, if this isn't something that's acceptable for you, the earlier you know that, the better. I don't want to waste anyone's time. I don't want to waste my time. Um, it's very much my orientation. It's not just a lifestyle choice. I am non-monogamous by orientation. I thought in my monogamous relationships that I was loving fully the extent of my ability, but it wasn't until opening up my relationships that I got to experience a whole new level of commitment and appreciation and love and passion that I had never really had before. So knowing that about myself, it, it would be equivalent to you know pretending I'm straight for some reason, but there's no point. And at what point of a new relationship would you actually invite your new partner to join you at a play party? If I'm, if I see like core partnership potential in someone, I would want at least a few dates, some one-on-one -on -one foundational time. Um, but since it is such a big part of my life, I mean, we host our events. The, the party that I'm on the board for is called The Play, and we host our play parties every four to six weeks. So I'm very regularly in this space even just my own, let alone, you know, friends parties and things like that. So it's bound to come up. That being said, not everyone, even if they're open to that and having a non-monogamous structure with me is necessarily interested in going to those events. So it's not a requirement that they come to a party with me. It is a requirement that we have an open dynamic and figure out exactly what that framework is together. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What about toys? Do you have toys that are involved in your play, sexual playroom? Of course, who doesn't love a child? <laughs> Since I was a child, they've just changed somewhat. And your favorite? Um, uh, yeah, well, I just, I got a new one. I'm very excited. <clears throat> of course, I'm blanking on the, the brand name. Goodness. Well, when they pay me for sponsorship, I will never <laughs> the brand name again. Um, but I, I love strap-ons. I love pegging. I love all of the combinations they're in but I only had ever used the very standard one and I you know can't feel anything so there's some you know extra steps that are needed to make sure I'm in there and I'm where I need to be I was like I want to I want to feel good too I want to feel like I'm fucking you and I don't have a penis so what is the next best step and now there's these beautiful ones that are inside me while I'm fucking someone as well and they have three separate motors and so everything is happening at the same time. I have played with it on my own as they advise to start to get to know the, the controls and everything. Um, and I, I have a date that I will be bringing it to later this week. Very nice. <laughs> Yay. Very, very nice. And do you have any hard no's for sexual positions or activities? Um, I would say a boundary for sure is uh, I always use barriers um, for genital sex. I have, you know, I'm in a non-monogamous dynamic with multiple people. So it's not just me and my needs and my boundaries and my safety. It's a whole community of people that I care very much about. Um, so barriers are important to me. And then um, for me personally, like I said, I like to, for the most part, I'm down to try anything at least once. Um, there's certain, you know, bodily fluids. I, I'm not into piss or shit play or per piss or scat play personally. Um, I don't like breaking skin. Um, I'm not so much into pain. I like skirting that edge, like a little electro play, flogging, things like that. But I, <laughs> but I don't, I don't want marks left. So I don't like being branded. That's not something I'm into. Personally. So we had a guest on our show last year. Um, we interviewed her from Le Boudoir, which is the local swingers club in London, England. And she's one of the hosts there. And her favorite play is because she liked pain a little bit but she liked being having one fist in her pussy and one fist mm. in her ass at the same at time. the same time <laughs> i just teared up a little bit <laughs> right <laughs> oh my goodness I, that's just impressive I, I i love dp but i have not done double D DF. Yeah. <laughs> double fisting yeah i don't think i'm going there that's for sure what about double vag have you tried that challenge not yet, but it, it is it is on the calendar. <laughs> I'm good at that. I have a, I have a couple partners who want to try that, and I'm like, because I'm tiny everywhere, and and you know that's just the reality, and I can do just about anything with enough you know foreplay and preparation, um, but I am tiny everywhere, so making sure that I have the right um, <laughs> the right combination of tools. yeah. I have to tell you, as yeah. a guy doing double vag, the sensation is so different than fucking. Because on one side of your cock, you're feeling the wall of the vagina. And on the other side, you're feeling the Another side cock. of a cock. 
Which yeah. feels very different. And it feels very different. And it's very hard to um, hold off on having an orgasm because the sensation mm-hmm. is really intense and tight. Is it the tightness? Yes, is very much the physical sensation. Is there any psychology in it that comes up for you that's also very like... It's, it's a taboo. Naughty. It's, it's, thought, naughty. it's taboo. Yeah. It's naughty yeah. for sure. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, because I remember like my partner that I did my first DP with, um, we did you know our debrief afterwards and he was just like so in love with the sensation of like someone else's ball like being able to feel like the slight like scruff of the balls and like all the the physical sensations were really uh, pleasurable oh i like the sensation i like the sensation both of us came inside carol at the same time so you felt his cock throbbing while mine came and her pussy was full of cum and when we came out it was just dripping wet and she had squirted at the same time so there was just a lot of mess that's why we have our blanket yeah blanket works very well I'm such a nerd about this stuff. I love just like breaking it down and like into the psychology and the physical and that like I'm just like our bodies are amazing. Our capacity for sensation and experience is unparalleled. Why wouldn't we want to see what's possible and what better way to do that than with safe, um, safe and emboldened and consensual relationships? Yeah. I mean, what a joy. Yeah. What a joy. Well, we do uh, we do it regularly. I'm not going to say often, but you have to have the right partner to do the double vag because you, both cocks have to stay quite hard. Oh, I tried it once. The guy was too big, and he went in, and I slid out. <laughs> yeah. So the compatibility is there. Like you know, it's nice when you can get it just right, and you kind of know the formula, and it works well, and then you look forward to it. But sometimes those kind of new adventures don't work out, and so I just want to say, don't give up on it. You know, if you really want to do it, try it again. Uh, but it doesn't always work. Everyone's body. I do a have. Bit to say that Viagra Cialis definitely helps. Oh, awesome. Good. Because that cock just stays hard regardless of what's going through your head. Yeah. Yeah, and there's physical components, again, and that's like, whether it's the physical or the emotional, like, again, having that capacity to make mistakes or to have things not quite work out the way you thought they would the first time, there's beauty in that. There's intimacy in that. Being able to really come together and unpack that together, look at it, make tweaks, what you can do differently next time or pull back a little bit that's also okay this isn't a linear journey there's plenty of couples you know stuff comes up in life you can close your relationship of course let everyone know who's involved have you know conversations everyone is a human who deserves respect and consideration but there's there's an ebb and a flow to everything in life so exactly what you said like it's okay if things aren't immediately what you thought they were going to be or ever they might even be better than you thought (laughs) yeah something new you don't know (laughs) yeah absolutely so do you have any fantasies that you can share with us some and maybe you've fulfilled or even something you haven't fulfilled yet i feel like every time i check one off like two more pop up just like Um, me yeah (laughs) uh yeah i mean that's the zest of life there's also i love like i'll meet you know, when I engage with a new partner, some, they'll bring, often they'll bring stuff I've never even thought of to the table. And so it expands even my list of fantasies that I thought I was capable of. I mean, I think a pretty a pretty big broad strokes one would be um, a, a term that's called CNC or consensual non-consent, the safe framework to basically explore rape fantasy. So the most important component being that first C, consensual non-consent. You create very much the parameters of the entire scene, what's okay what's off limits everything is orchestrated ahead of time you do not enter into this without extensive planning thorough conversations and agreements um, that way you're able to safely explore really pushing some boundaries as someone who has experienced uh, non-consensual penetration in the past um, it's been a very healing space for me to reclaim power and to really um, rewrite those stories and those frameworks both on an emotional level and really a physical, physiological level as well. Well, can you give us an example? I'm curious now of what, how a scene, what type of scene would be something you'd be interested in, in having? So, yeah, so for me, what I haven't had yet is I, I have had partners before who have, um, they haven't actually done it yet either. So we're talking about how that might work for us, but like having a full, like unexpected arrival, like having them come into my home without me knowing when they're coming. But again, all of these elements are discussed, written down, agreed to ahead of time. Uh, you know, you can choke me, but no passing out. You can, you know, use impact here on these parts of my body. Um, the safe word or the safe gesture, you want both. You want a verbal and a nonverbal um, boundary line that you can express. Um, some people use red, uh, 
excuse me, red, yellow, green, as far as like stop, slow down, keep going, that kind of a thing in, in BDSM. But again, every element during predetermined, these are the tools you can use, no ropes, um, you know, no loud noises. I don't want to worry my neighbors. Um, I can scream, I cannot scream, like all of the elements you think of really mapped out ahead of time so that when you're in and it's beginning, and you're gonna test those boundaries. For me, I need I need to I need to feel that level of risk, but I can only do that safely with someone I trust. So this yeah. isn't something I'm doing with someone I've met on one date. Right. This right. is someone I have a long-term tr- building that trust over time through consistent relationship experience, giving me that security before I even broach the topic wow. with them. And not every partner is down. Not everyone's okay with that. It is it is a big ask. It is a very challenging fantasy to fulfill. For, for many reasons. So it's a very special thing to be able to do with someone. Yeah, that's very cool. Thank you for sharing that. So we are coming to the end of our show and we usually like to leave with a little bit of advice or a wrap up of what we've been discussing. So what would you say would be the top two things that couples should do if they run into friction or insecurities in the early part of their journey into non-monogamy? Yeah, thank you. Um, we touched on it briefly earlier um, in the interview, but that support network is really, really, really key as you're stepping out. If if you have no one in your network that um, has has played with healthy non-monogamy before, if you have a couples therapist but they're not versed in this, you can be getting very skewed um, advice when you're dealing with friction. It's very normal to want to seek your support network um, when you're having those stress points, but if everyone's coming from the perspective of non-monogamy as the deviation, then they're gonna say, hey, may, you know, this didn't come up until you opened up, maybe you should close up. Versus, hey, what is coming up? Are these things that you can look at together? Is there is there value, is it jealousy? Is it jealousy coming from an insecurity? Is there a history of insecurity in the relationship? Et cetera, et cetera. There's all these different ways to look at those friction points as a useful opportunity rather than just reverting the pullback. And making sure, you know, like I said, if you have, you know, a couple therapists you're already working with, asking if they have any experience working with polydynamics or non-monogamous frameworks, and if not, making sure you're bringing on that extra support system or potentially looking for a new couples counselor who does have that experience. Cool. And one of the things we always talk about is that when couples are going into this new journey, this new adventure, um, they have to go into it together they have to understand that if something goes wrong, they can't hold it against the other person and to never take one for the team. It's either good for both of you or it's not good. And and we're not saying say no. It's like, how about if we try something different? But don't go into something you're not comfortable doing. Keep talking about it. And when you come out of whatever you've done, take the time, do the recap, replay it, talk about what you like, what you didn't like, and and... Try something different if it didn't work out this time, but you know, um, don't do something that really doesn't feel comfortable because if you go in like that, you're not gonna have a good time. Absolutely, and, and like you hit the nail on the head, another ingredient is really making sure that whatever relationship framework you have, it has space for mistakes. Mistakes are highly, highly, highly valuable as you're growing and reframing something. So making sure you're able to deal with them on your own if your partner makes them or even if you make them, or that you're able to feel safe bringing a mistake into the space. Hey, I know we have this boundary. I fucked up. I didn't honor it. Here's why. I'd really like to look at it with you and explore where that breakdown came from. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's super important. And to admit you made the mistake. Don't just deny, deny. Oh, I didn't know. No, yeah. no. Be, be, be grown-ups when you're talking about it. Yeah, and ladies. Yeah, get- and, the, and the response. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ali. I was just say that that responsibility is still twofold. If you're in a partnership, you have the responsibility for creating an environment that your partner feels comfortable coming to you with a mistake, just as much as you need to take ownership when you've made the mistake. Yeah, yeah, if, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? They, yeah. they go together. They're very intrinsically related. And I was just going to say that, you know, ladies, guys are guys. We do <laughs> screw up and we don't get it right all the time. Just love us, talk to us, have great communication. Because you're hopeless. We'll get better. We try, we try hard. We will get better. Ali Iceman. Don't worry, I I fuck up plenty. (laughs) Ali, thank you so much for sharing all that great information. Take a second now and tell everyone how they can find you. Thank you so much. You can find me easily at passporttopleasure.com. It's the number two, 
the same thing on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Passport, the number two pleasure. That is my company. You can reach me there directly. I offer private guidance. You can look through my courses that I will be adding new ones as time progresses as well, in addition to ENM 101. And I will also be launching eco luxury retreats for couples exploring the space as well. Very, very nice. And of course, if you missed any of that information, you can always go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all their information. And of course, Ali's stuff will be there, and you can even contact her from there. Absolutely. And like we did this week, we're learning more and more every week from all our great guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. Alrighty. Wow. The end of another great show with an amazing guest. Ali Eisman, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, you guys. It's been an absolute pleasure, which is the whole point. (laughs) (laughs) And like we do every week, we want to Thank all our listeners for being here week in and week out. And remember to join us next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I and Ali send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe and, of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. 